On this week's episode of Let's Talk About It, we're going to explore an artistic genre that has made a recent comeback called Afro-Surrealism. We'll define it and spend some time exploring some of the recent cinematic additions to the genre. Then, in our relationship segment, we're going to talk about how the Black experience and the infinite ways of being Black can impact our relationships. You're here. You've joined us. Now let's talk about it. Hello there. Yo. And welcome to this episode of Let's Talk About It. It's Malcolm Morgan. And it's Micah Morgan. And we're back. Season four, episode two. And we're coming at you with some bangers. Oh. Some bangers, bro. <laughs> okay. That is, um, the intensity level is, is up there. Yeah. I don't know if we're going to be able to match that for the rest of the We're not playing in this season. Episode. We're not playing with y'all. Oh, wow. Okay. Now it's teetering on aggression. Teetering. No, it's all aggressive. <laughs> Do we need to ask how you're doing? I think you just shared with us how you're doing. Yeah. How are you? Hold that. I'm good. <laughs> I'm charged up and ready to do this episode. This is something I've been looking forward to talking about. Yeah. It's a good one today. I think it has uh, made quite a few of our conversations, but this is mm-hmm. a good chance to talk about some some fun things. Yeah. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm chilling. It's a good day. We got some exercise. Spend some time with friends, you know. It's a good one. It's true. I got nothing to add. (laughs) That's all I got, kids. Well, what do we have on the menu today that you're so excited about? We talk about Afro-surrealism. Afro-surrealism. Also known as black surrealism. Also known as that, but it's called Afro-surrealism. Gotcha. Let's not get crazy. Correct term. Let's not get nuts out here. (laughs) Um, So how would we define Afro-surrealism? Um... So the term Afro-surreal expressionism was coined by Amiri Baraka in 1974. Um, it was in reference to black arts movement avant-garde writer Henry Dumas. Baraka notes that Dumas is able to write about ancient mysteries that were simultaneously relevant to the present day. Um, and, and over time, we've seen this in different mediums, but recently it's really shown up a lot in television and cinema. Um, some examples of things that we've seen, Donald Glover's Atlanta, um, Get Out by Jordan Peele is probably one of the most famous examples of it. Sorry to Bother You, starring Lakeith Stanfield by Boots Riley. Um, and then if you go some more recent things uh, in the past year, Swarm, which was also done by Donald Glover, mm-hmm. uh, starring Chloe Bailey and Dominique Fishback. Uh, the Strays, which a was a list. The Strays, which was a movie on Netflix. Um, I don't know if a lot of people saw it, but it also would fit in the genre. Worth it. And most recently, they cloned Tyrone, uh, starring John Boyega um, and directed by Joel Taylor. Uh, that was on Netflix. Just came out uh, maybe a month or two ago. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think that's the most recent one, too. Yeah. yeah. So, Michael, what are some of the core tenets of Afro-surrealism? Well, I think what... What I appreciate is, A, you giving us that first kind of foundational definition from Baraka. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but what I love is how it's kind of evolved from that more abstract kind of, okay, let's use some of the ancient mysteries of, um, you know, black people, African people to tell relevant stories to now what it's doing is beginning to tell like the contemporary black experience, that narrative mm-hmm. using some some pretty cool kind of like metaphors. Um, and so one of the things I... I mean, my all-time favorite is going to be Get Out on that list that you just mm-hmm. um, gave us. I think it does such a great job of highlighting the core tenets of Afro-surrealism because you have, on the surface, kind of the ridiculousness of this story. By the way, if y'all haven't seen this movie, I am about to spoil it, but it's yeah, been a while. I mean, come on, come <laughs> I on. mean, just say it. Just, just say get it. Get your life together if you haven't seen it. Oh, no. People can have their lives as together as they want. Okay. Um, (laughs) So what I loved about that movie is um, on the surface of it, you've got the ridiculousness of, okay, there's people being captured and their bodies are being used for people to inhabit them. Mm -hmm. Um, But then below that surface, which I think is core to Afro surrealism, is it's telling the story about the possession of black bodies throughout throughout American history, but then also still today Mm -hmm. through the way Black bodies are possessed by um, by Hollywood or, mm-hmm. you know, by fashion. Um, and so I really love that kind of double layered uh, feature of Afro surrealism. I'd say that would be one core tenet. Yeah, it's really leaning into ups- the absurdity, like these absurd. Mm-hmm. Some people say weird things that just can't be believed that shouldn't be believed, but that are. Very true, very true and very real mm-hmm. even um when used as a metaphor there there's there are things that i mean get out is a great example of it of okay this is kind of ridiculous but then you're like well no this is actually happening right this is actually happening this is real um i mean one of my i will speak highly of the show until for a long time yes, um, i just will. love atlanta <laughs> i think donna glover just did a great job Every episode kind of tells its own story. Uh, I think the first season really was kind of one continuous story. And then after that, he kind of really experimented with his storytelling and um, different elements that he would bring out different issues. Like even the the whole season where they were on tour in Europe just brought up a whole bunch of issues of race in a context, in a different context than mm. I think Americans would understand. Mm. Um but really brought up some of those absurd things that you just think that can't be true. But then when you actually like look at it, you're like, wow, this, no, (laughs) it's absurd. It's true because it's absurd. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think too, what, what I appreciate is um, I'm thinking back to uh, not a lot of our listeners may have seen this one, but the angry black girl and her monster Mm -hmm. Uh, was that on Netflix Uh, prime prime. Mm -hmm. Um, so if you haven't seen that one, I do recommend it. But I think it it played with or explored grief for black people in a way that that was really interesting. And so um, just a quick synopsis. There's a girl who um, whose whose older brother was it seems like he was murdered, mm-hmm. maybe through some gang violence in the community. Yeah. And it, uh, they not so subtly intimate that he was a part of a gang. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. And so her way of coping in this story is she uses her brilliance. She's a really uh, intelligent young woman and mm-hmm. she uses her brilliance to basically bring him back to life. She, mm-hmm. they, they position her as a modern day black Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's very interesting because you see the ways in the movie 
that grief is complicated for black people because she really wasn't given a chance to to really mourn since there was so much ambiguity and uncertainty about how he died, mm-hmm. why he died. And so her way of compensating for that was to use her creativity in a world where she really didn't have the freedom and the luxury to pause mm-hmm. and just grieve as a young black girl, because you see the ways that um, gang violence was still happening to her. I mean, mm-hmm. actively she was, I mean, basically forced into drug activity mm-hmm. after her brother's death. Right. Mm-hmm. So life kept happening for her and her way of compensating was to be creative. Um, and so that is a statement about what it means to be black in America. Like there's so many times where we see another video on social media or, or just in our own families, right. Of us losing someone in a ridiculous way. And because we are black and we don't have the luxury of pausing, we can't grieve the way we need to. And so here's this movie using the ridiculousness of Afro surrealism to make Mm -hmm. that statement. I thought that was really, really well done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, one of the so the there's a um, artist by the name of make sure I get her name D Scott Miller who in 2009 wrote a Afro surrealist um, manifesto, um, and from what the things that I've read, she actually sat down with the Mary Baraka and oh asked to kind of take his he the term that he coined was Afro surreal expressionism and kind mm. of talked to him about hey would you mind if we use this but make it Afro surrealism. And they kind of talked through what that looked like. And he actually like kind of gave the blessing for them to kind of embrace this movement based off his initial idea. And just something really interesting that I found in the, the manifesto, I'll just read it for you. Afro surreal presupposes that beyond this visible world, there's an invisible world striving to manifest. It is our job to uncover it. Like the African surrealist, Afro surrealists recognize that nature, including human nature, generates more surreal experiences than any other process could hope to produce. Mm. And to me, this this whole genre, I, I just think it's just su- such masterful storytelling because I think that black stories are, I mean, I think we're used to seeing black stories, especially in America, told through the lens of slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that is just such a narrow view to be able to tell stories. I mean, you look at the movies that win Oscars, whether it's movies like, um, shoot, I'm blanking on all of them now, but tw- 12 Years a Slave, for example. Yeah, yeah. Um, those are the things that are considered high art and get rewarded for being high art. Mm. But what I like about this genre is that it 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 depicts complicated black stories, complicated black mm-hmm. characters with a lot more nuance and just really creative ways of story telling stories in unique ways. And uh, we've talked about some of these examples, but there's, there's so many more that people have done that are putting, putting out these, this art that is saying something mm-hmm. and doing it in an artful and unique way. Yeah. Yeah. And some of it is you could just have fun with it. Like I, sorry to bother you came out in 2018 with Lakeith Stanfield. It was, was just so good. It was such a great commentary on, on code switching, code switching yeah. the white voice, you know, mm-hmm. this, black guy working at a I believe it was a telemarketing place right yep and he's just using his regular voice and he's not seeing the success that he wants and so one of his coworkers (laughs) is like you gotta use the voice use the voice and so I believe it's um, I think uh, Omari Hardwick is like the most successful guy in this company Uh and so he pulls him to the side and shows him the voice and so what they do is they have Omari Hardwick pick up the phone and start talking and a white guy you know overdubs (laughs) yeah (laughs) and so 
it's 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 one of those things like oh that's so funny but it's like no that that there's a there's some truth it's to that. true <laughs> it's true and it's it's so oh my goodness i'm i'm flashing back to how good the movie was because mm-hmm. what made it so good is because as lakeith starts moving up mm-hmm things become more ridiculous yeah. the further he gets like into the interior of the company. Yeah. Like to the point where there's like a talking horse at some point. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think that is even a statement to like when, when black people are put in a position where they have to code switch and you know, they're, that's a whole nother episode, honestly, uh-huh. all the politics and the reasons why people choose to co-switch and, and really it is, it's a protective and necessary part of the black experience. Mm-hmm. But what the movie is, is describing is once you, once you buy into that and you use that as a tool, mm-hmm. there's some ridiculous, like some real ridiculousness waiting for you <laughs> in the upper, you know, kind of hierarchies of the company. Yeah. Um, and so the way the movie plays with that is it actually uses fantastical, yeah. mythical creatures and ridiculous events to convey that message. And it's just, it's, is yeah, really well done yeah. once again. I think one of the important things to, to remember is that this type of art isn't necessarily new, but we kind of saw a reemergence, uh, particularly after kind of the emergence of Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the racial awakenings we, we saw like in Charlottesville with the Black Lives Matter movement and protests all over the place really saw artists trying to find ways to make sense of it yeah. and to speak to it without just showing clips over and over again. But Bringing some levity, bringing some, making light of some things, but also talking about some very serious things that would make us think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I'm kind of struck by a quote um, from Terry Francis, who's the director of Black Film Center and Archive at uh, University of Indiana. She says, it's no wonder our pop culture landscape is turning Afro surreal at a time when society is wrestling with racial violence, bias and inequality. Mm-hmm. I think their work is very realistic in representing the absurdity of black life. In America, the ideals are there and you're aware of what should be going on, but that's not the reality. Wow. And that's so true, too, because I'm thinking of how heavy it can be to like to turn toward the truth of the black experience head on. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just, It just gets to be too much. And so there's this there's this kind of relief that Afro surrealism gives you by leaning into the absurdity specifically. Cause then it's like, you kind of come at it sideways, right? Like Mm -hmm. you have some of the humor, you have the amazing visuals, you have the amazing storytelling and metaphor to kind of cut, Mm -hmm. you know, the edge off of, um, you know, the grief of what it means to be black sometimes and the violence that we have to, to endure, um, and so I really appreciate that quote. I think that captures that well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking, of, I'm just trying to think of like moments in some of these shows and movies that we watch that they make humorous, but it's like at the, there's just some, some real truth cutting at the, at the edge of it, you know, mm. um, just a moment that was kind of silly, but it, it makes you think is there's a moment in swarm, um, when Dominique Fishback is, getting help from um, a stripper, a stripper who's uh, helping her Mm -hmm. deal with some issues that she's dealing with. If you haven't seen Swarm, it's it's a fun, it's a fun watch. Uh, But the stripper is played by Paris Jackson, who Mm -hmm. is one of Michael Jackson's children, allegedly. And 
And she's telling this just story about her boyfriend and all of these things. And she's like, yeah, I just, I just think he couldn't understand that I was black. And the girl kind of looks at her. What? Because I'm black. You're what now? She's like, I'm black. My, my dad is black. What? <laughs> it's so masterful because, I mean, I'm just going to be honest. You know, Michael Jackson, love him to pieces. Rest in power. But many of our families have had conversations about Paris's paternity. Well, all three of them. All yes. three of them. Yeah. And, you know, visually, their their visual expression doesn't seem to be what we expected, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's it's just the way that they're playing with that because uh-huh. they know. They know. If you are black and you're watching this, you have, you have been involved in that conversation at yep. some point in your life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so to hear Paris be like, yeah, my dad is black. It just it almost it 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 winks at you. Yep. From from inside of the story. Yeah. And I I love that about I think Donald Glover's Atlanta does that well too. They just kinda yeah. like they let you know, yeah, we know. We know. We, we know, know that you know. You know that you know. And we're not gonna we're not gonna outright say it. Just wink wink and nudge, we're good. Oh man. It's like that it's like that, you know, you're in a sea of white people in the room. There's that one black guy, you guys kinda catch eyes, and he just kinda gives you the nod and you're like, All right. Yeah. He knows. He knows. We're good. <laughs> Speaking of Atlanta, I'm thinking, you know, of another moment where there's kind of, there's humor that kind of cuts the mm-hmm. the truth of it all. Um, you're you're gonna have to help me. I can't remember episodes and seasons, but mm-hmm. it's the one where um, the the light skinned gentleman is trying to prove that he's black enough to get the scholarship. I believe that is in the. Is that the, the last, last season, season or the second to last season? But yeah, yes. one of those. Featured Kevin Samuels. Yeah, it, yeah, that is that is a whew, that is good episode. That's a good <laughs> episode. It's a good episode. It is once again, you know, it it it's playing on the very real experience of colorism yeah. in the black community, and they shot it in black and white too. Uh-huh. So it's. Yeah, similar to what they did in like the, the movie Passing when mm-hmm. they make it black and white so it's hard to you know actually see yeah. um, this character who is who has a very black father we don't see his mother at all mm-hmm. but he is very fair skinned and if you yeah. didn't if he didn't say anything you would assume he was white mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think there's once again the reality that we are constantly asking questions as black people about mm-hmm. You know how somebody presents, how dark their complexion complexion is, and and maybe even questions about how much they're trying to gain proximity to whiteness based mm-hmm. on how light they are, and they Donald Glover plays with it by actually setting up a council <laughs> of three black men mm-hmm. where black students come and stand before them and basically prove how black they are mm-hmm. with questions that they're asking. Yep. And these are like real questions that like some of the questions are absurd just to be absurd, but others are like real questions. It's like, okay. I think one of them was um, when they were talking about, uh, it was just a saying where they asked, now that's a, Oh, what did they say? Now that's a blank shame. Oh yeah, and then no, said, so what? The, there's a uh, young black man that was shot. That yeah, was and they said, "What is the only response to that?" <laughs> and you know, the kid said something like, uh-huh. oh, "Maybe he should have like paid attention to what the police were saying." Something, yeah, yeah. And they're like, "The only the, response." The only is, response is that's a damn shame. <laughs> that's the only response. That's the only response. <laughs> and so 
you know, yeah. Like it's moments like that where it's asking questions about, okay, what what does it mean to be black? How does colorism fit into mm-hmm. being black? But it plays on the humor of it by setting up an actual council, which would never yeah. happen. Yeah. So it's just it's it's really cool ways that Afro surrealism can do that. And I think where, you know, taking take it to the next step, I think where the message really is is they kind of he gets upset because they deny him his first scholarship. Mm-hmm. They deny him the scholarship to say you're not black. He's like, well, my dad's black. Da, da, da. And basically, what if you break down what they said is like, no, you you have white friends. You hang out with your white friends. You pass as white all the time, and you're not a part of the community. Because mm-hmm. if you were a part of the community, these things would be second nature to you. You would know these things. You wouldn't have to study these things or guess. Mm-hmm. So you, you only black when it's convenient. You have all this other time to be connected to the community, and you're not. And that and that's really what it is, right? Because yeah. when I was watching it, I was like, "Oh man, are we are we making statements about like the right kind of blackness?" Mm-hmm. And it was like, "No, like that's really what they were saying is you are choosing when you want to connect with your community, yeah. and this is the consequence of doing that. Yeah, when you make that choice. So, hey, no scholarship, no scholarship. Yeah, I uh, I also have to recognize um, that." All of this, this isn't for everybody. Everybody doesn't yeah. love this type of storytelling. Um, like, like I mentioned before, Afro-surrealism really leans into the weird and the absurd. Um, so it's not always the easiest stories to digest. It's a lot of work you have to do on the front and the back end to sometimes mm-hmm. get these layers and decode everything that you need to help understand the story. Um, and that can be a little, I'll be honest, it's disheartening sometimes when you see people just dismiss yeah. some of these movies, whether it's movies like... Um, Nope or Us by Jordan Peele or yeah. I mean I've I've I know people that don't really enjoy Atlanta or didn't mm-hmm. enjoy Swarm as well um, and it's a little disheartening but at the same time I get it not all media is for everybody yeah you know that's fair that's fair and I think too like it, it is worth saying like if you if you need to do that much work for mm-hmm. your entertainment I can see why people are like look man I go to work you know Monday through Friday I don't want to have to like get a dictionary and try to like figure out what the yeah. movie is saying Absolutely. after I get off. So, I mean, it's fair, but I would, I would definitely say if you haven't given it a try, you know, and you got some time, give it a try. We mentioned, you know, some of the movies uh, that have recently come out um, that we recommend earlier in this episode and just come at it with an open mind. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you if you're watching it, kind of ask questions about like, what, what could this be saying about the black experience? And, and just see if you like it. Yeah. It might be good. Yeah. There's the the black story is so diverse. So many different avenues you can go. So many different types of stories and different storytellers. I think that's the beautiful thing about this time that we're in now mm-hmm. is that we're not limited in how we can tell these stories. We don't have to show up as stereotypical characters or ter- mm-hmm. stereotypical stories. Um we can show up however and yeah. tell the story however be as be as nuanced and as surreal as we want to be or be as straightforward as we want to be mm-hmm. and sometimes we do just want to sit down and we just want to laugh and have a good time we just want to watch something that we could turn our brain off and just laugh yeah uh, i think another example that we didn't talk about that we have talked about on this show was um um honk for jesus save your soul oh. was another example we've obviously talked about that we spent a whole episode talking about yeah. that yeah but i think that's another example that fits into the genre very well yeah so yes, that is our suggestion to everybody. Give it a try. Give it a shot. Yeah. You don't have to, every movie you watch doesn't have to be that. Just spend a little time, and, and then I love to do the reading afterwards. Yeah, see what people are saying, good. what the conversation is. It helps me 
even give more context to what we've what we've just seen. Um, this episode is all about blackness, ain't it? All about being black. These are yeah. fun episodes to do. <laughs> um, so yeah, with Afro surrealism, we've talked about kind of the diverse stories that we can tell now mm-hmm. and that are being told in the the black story has so many different layers to it and that but that means there's a lot of different layers to blackness and that affects how we show up how we interact with people um and sometimes that can affect how we create relationships Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so let's ask the big question what does someone's blackness have to do with relationships in the first place are we all just one race? Aren't we all just the human race? <laughs> I have feelings about that statement, but um, I only get one soapbox per episode, so I'm going to save it for later. Um, yeah, you know, I think the way that blackness affects relationships is, I mean, on the surface, we're all as humans just trying to figure out who we can connect with based on who we have something in common with. That's just how we naturally create relationships. And so the first ways that we're going to typically do that is visually, Mm -hmm. right? Like, does this person share my gender expression? Mm -hmm. Does this person share my race? Like those are just very quick questions that we um, ask. And so I think the way that it shows up in our relationships is, a, it becomes one of the um, subconscious and for some people conscious ways that we kind of group ourselves mm-hmm. and figure out how to start relationships at all. Yeah, I think, yeah, on on a general level, we're just looking for commonalities, mm-hmm. whether it's race or anything else. You know, do we have do we like the same sports team? Do we like the same type of music? Right. Um all of those things. And then when you look at look at it through the racial lens, we want to see people that understand our history, our culture, use the same slang that we do, mm-hmm. understand what a dap is, understand when the snap comes after the dap, like all that is just <laughs> easier, usually within your own your own racial group. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think there's that like surface element to it, right? But I also think there's the historical element to mm-hmm. it. Um and, you know, one that we really can't ignore that stems from slavery mm-hmm. is, you know, there was a time in our country where enslaved Africans were sorted based on complexion. Yeah. And, you know, the lighter complexioned slaves worked in the house, helped take care of the children, did the cooking um, and, and arguably had less strenuous kind of conditions to work in yeah. than the darker complexion slaves that were put out in the field. Mm-hmm. And so from a very early stage in our American history for, for you know, African slaves that were brought over here, we had to learn who was trustworthy within our own race, yeah. honestly, based upon complexion. Yeah. Like we were put in that position because of the trauma of slavery. Mm -hmm. And so what we actually have seen is colorism kind of come out of that. Um, Mm -hmm. And colorism, of course, wasn't birthed out of slavery. It was already a part of colonial imperialism. But that's kind of the main reason, that main way that it was expressed when it came to slavery. And so if you kind of track that part of our story Mm -hmm. up toward the present, you, I mean, you have the history of people black people passing, right. Mm -hmm. Who have had, you know, one parent who was white, Mm -hmm. um, 
And, you know, if their complexion was fair enough and their hair texture was fine enough, they were able to pass for white. Yeah. And it wasn't just passing. It wasn't just getting privileges, you know, as a as a black person kind of um, passing for a white person. But a lot of those people actually ended up selling out, you know, mm-hmm. some of their black family members or black friends in order to stay proximate to whiteness. And so there's been a history of that happening. And I think what what happens is today we know that that kind of betrayal still happens yeah. right in the workplace. It happens politically. Mm-hmm. And so we start asking questions, mm-hmm. right, like about how black a person is based on like, OK, if they are showing up and expressing their blackness in a certain way, then that lets me know maybe I can trust them not to sell me out to get proximate to whiteness the way it's been done historically. Yeah. I think one of the, the things that the ways that that colorism has manifested itself is, um, and I think it, it has kind of permeated how we view blackness is, you didn't have to go through the struggle like I had to go through the struggle like mm. a, a darker complexed person when looking yeah. at a lights like you were you've been able to kind of pass and live in both worlds and mm-hmm. and not have to deal with the same struggles that I have and I think mm-hmm. that that thought process and that criticism has has really gone toward all blackness mm. like hey yeah you're black but you didn't go through this right right you didn't you know you weren't you didn't come from a low income family you know none of my None of my parents went to college. I didn't have access mm. to this. I didn't have access to that. Mm-hmm. You've lived a, you know, a, a cushy life. Like if you if you take it back to what the one of the core things of the of the colorism that emerged from slavery was, it was essentially a blue collar versus a white collar mentality. Mm. The the lighter complected slaves were inside the house, usually working closer to master, mm-hmm. cooking food, raising their kids. Right. Blah, blah, blah. While the darker complected slaves were out in the fields doing the blue collar grunt work. Yeah. So literally you can boil that down to you. You haven't had to do. Sure, you're black. Sure, you're living at a second class level compared to white people. But you have not dealt with anywhere near the struggle that I'm dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so I mean, you know, I. I'm sitting here as a light complexion black person and, you know, I'm not going to. I'm not going to deny the truth of that, right? There's been opportunities that that I have been given because of how I look mm-hmm. and I'm totally aware of that and it's just it's heartbreaking because it shows you just how traumatic slavery has been mm-hmm. that it's sown that much discord within our community. Yeah. Um because it you know, if on the flip side as you think of lighter complexion slaves, it's not like they like they had a choice. Yeah. Right. Like they were forced into the house. It wasn't, oh, you know, raise your hand if you want to work outside. (laughs) It's no, you come in here and you take care of my kids because I told you to. So but from the from the position of darker complexion slaves, that feels horrible. Yeah. Right. Because it's like we come from the same cloth. Mm -hmm. You just, you know, sadly want your you your mother was probably raped by master. Yeah. Right. But I'm looking at you getting these privileges mm-hmm. and, and you haven't earned them. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that like the trauma on top of trauma that mm-hmm. came out of that is just like, man, we are still reaping 
that impact that that had on our ancestors, because now even today we're asking questions about how trustworthy we can be to one another mm-hmm. based on how proximate some people are trying to stay yeah. to whiteness in yeah. order to protect themselves from the trauma of racism that still exists. Yeah. And it's like, wow, yeah. that's, that is what slavery has done. Yeah. If you, if you can to tie it back to the, the previous topic of some of the depictions of blackness in television and in a film, mm-hmm. One of the criticisms early on of the Cosby show was that, yeah, this is a successful black family, but this doesn't necessarily correlate with my black experience. Mm. There's a lot of people that are like, yeah, this is like aspirational, but this is not like people would look at like a show like Good Times as, okay, that's closer to what I experienced Mm. as a black person, particularly in America, Mm -hmm. socioeconomically. Um, And so even though now that, I guess, until recently, the, the Cosby show became this lionized mm, yep. story of blackness and mm-hmm. black excellence. It wasn't always received that way. Right. Um, and I think that comes to kind of the nuance and, and differences that we see in what blackness is and how we represent that as people. Exactly. Exactly. And And it invites us to be more curious about, like, how different our black experience can look from yeah. person to person and invites us to be, I, you know, I think more compassionate, right. Yeah. To, to say like, yeah, like you, the way that you grew up is different than me, mm-hmm. you know, but I'm, I want to make room for what your blackness looks like yeah. next to mine and not instead of mine. Yeah. I, I think making it, you know, bringing up kind of a personal example for me, I, I went to school mostly in the suburbs and predominantly mm-hmm. white schools, but I went to school on the black side of town. I went to black churches, Baptist churches. Yeah. And so it was like kind of living in two worlds where in in my school context, I kind of had to find ways to kind of survive mm-hmm. in the environment, which mm-hmm. was in some ways probably compromising and doing different things, code switching, things like that. And then when I'm around my my black friends at church or in the community um, feeling like I could be more myself, but then also having to prove to them that I'm not a reflection of the school I went to, but the reflection more of what my skin color is. So sometimes you have to like overperform to, to Mm. show that you're black. You got to like drop more, (laughs) (laughs) drop more ebonics and, you know, listen to more rap music so you can like feel like you fit in with everybody. And so Mm. I think, it affects it can affect people in a lot of different ways and it has mm-hmm. over time it, but i think a lot of it like like you've talked about has to do with your context and yeah. um the black experience is so rich and so full there's so much there's so many different backgrounds for people it's not it's not a monolith it's not yeah um everybody doesn't come from the same place but we i would say all of us deal with the same struggles just maybe to a different degree mm-hmm. and i think there's there's also something to be said too about as we are trying to figure out what our blackness, our version of blackness looks like Mm -hmm. is also, I mean, for me, I'll just speak for myself also trying to figure out ways that we can elevate one another Mm -hmm. in that process. Like I know for me as a, as a lighter complexion, black woman, I think what, what I needed to discover was the the truth and the reality about colorism mm-hmm. that you know it, it is real like there are you know lighter complexion black people that really do kind of try to maximize on mm-hmm. their their complexion to stay proximate to whiteness and accepting that 
and finding ways to make sure that I am not duplicating that behavior, yeah. right? And really celebrating blackness in spaces where maybe I do have an opportunity to be at a table, you know, that that other black people can't join me at. But I'm trying to make room at that table. I'm trying to I'm trying to bring voices to that table. Mm-hmm. You know, not speak for my people as much as like as I can because yeah. I'm not a spokesperson. But how can I elevate other voices at the table, right? Yeah. Um, so I think for me, like discovering how blackness is not a monolith is an invitation to make as much space for people to see the the various expressions of blackness yeah. as, as much as possible. Yeah, I think when we talk about expressions of blackness, I think we're all, no matter what our skin tone is, or our background is, we're all trying to keep our metaphorical black heart. There you go. We don't want that, whether it's being a person who doesn't like collard greens or a person who doesn't like... Does it like black eyed peas or <laughs> doesn't listen to Mary J. Blige or didn't enjoy Martin or mm. or the Fresh Prince of Bel Air? Like we all, we all have that. We word. all have something. Yeah, that we are trying to hold on to our black card, and it could be a metaphorical black card. But sometimes I think the fear is real that your blackness could be questioned at any moment, mm. and that you might say the wrong thing or offend the wrong person. Or yeah, yeah. And it, I mean, and it's about trust, yeah. right? Like it's not, I think for me, what I've had to accept is it's not that we are, that we are all trying to like sort each other and figure out like who's better than everyone else. It's that like the stakes are real. Yeah. And if you don't know like the black people around you and, and how much you can trust them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes your, your job is at stake. Sometimes your relationships are at stake. Yeah. Um, and so for me, it's been accepting that, right. That like, yeah, yeah we joke around about like, all right, don't take my black card, but, uh-huh. and then insert your confession here. Uh-huh. But it's like, and also on the other side of that, I am working to show myself as a trustworthy person for my community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, Ultimately, I think what's important as black people, especially in spaces where we are not the majority, is mm. cr- is making sure that we have safe spaces to be right. able to communicate those insecurities and mm-hmm. those fears and those issues. Because I think when we all come down to it, especially those that, whether it's a workplace or a church, maybe that you're in a multi-ethnic church or something like that, I think you all, we all are experiencing so many of the same issues, microaggressions. Yeah. Um, and we don't even realize it. We just look at our skin tone or look at our backgrounds and say, that that dude ain't me. Yeah. But then when you actually sit down and like talk to somebody, you're like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Girl last week. <laughs> <laughs> just yesterday. So and so at work said this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's 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 funny, like I have so many stories, instances where a bunch of black people get in a room and we just start trauma bonding mm. over all of the things that we've been through, whether it's how we were raised, whether it's environments that we've been in, and you're just telling all these stories and and you that bonds you together, you yeah. know. I've I've been in rooms, it's funny, like there's been a couple white people in those rooms and they're all looking like horrified, like <laughs> what in the world? And we're all like laughing yeah. and like this is like this, this childhood. Like, y'all understand this is therapy for us. We are <laughs> We are having a great time just reminiscing about all these things. And up, maybe people from outside the community are like, um. <laughs> Should we? <go?" laughs> it's like, no, nah, we cool. We cool. <laughs> yeah. Those are those are the good moments. Like, it's it's interesting. It's like, a, um, it's just, it, it's an interesting tension, right? Because mm-hmm. at the same time, you are saying 
blackness is not a monolith, there are some really interesting ways that that we are so similar, mm-hmm. like especially when we talk about our childhoods, like there's yeah. there's certain parts of how our parents have all parented that are so eerily similar that yes. like you see on social media where people will comment and be like, dang, how we all had the same tri- childhood. And it's like, it's, it's kind of the beauty of blackness, right? That it's yeah. so varied, but that there's stuff about blackness. that's also very unifying at the same time. Yeah. So unifying. Um, I mean, you know, look at this, this most recently, this, um, I don't want to go to the play by play of it, but this issue, the fight in Mont, in um, was it Montgomery, Birmingham, uh, uh, Montgomery, Montgomery, yeah. um, and you just see black people all over just <laughs> uniting over this, you know. <laughs> Look, and not getting into the politics of it and what yeah, happened and what no. didn't happen, but you just saw black people like we were either supporting the people or telling jokes or whatever it, it was. was. It didn't matter. Like black Twitter was alive and well. <laughs> For that two or three day period, when and we Walmart's just- <laughs> folded chair sales have been skyrocketing. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, once again, right? And I mean, you know, people have have waxed poetic about the incident, but my favorite description is of you know, kind of the the com- the comparison yeah. of us being dragged over here across the ocean in slave ships, mm-hmm. right? To now we have a black man jumping into a body of water to swim to the aid of another black man. Yeah. And it's like, this is the story of of blackness. It is redemption at its core where we take the gruesomeness of our story and we turn it into community and unity. And sometimes it ends up being over a folded chair in a fight. But hey, like we're going to be about our people when when we need to. Absolutely. Blackness is not a monolith, but it can unite us all. Mm-hmm. So let's use our blackness to unite. There we go. There's the <laughs> there's the story. All right. So what do we talk about today? <sighs> we, talk, see. we talked about Afro surrealism. Mm-hmm. We broke mm-hmm. down some of the tenets, its its origins, how it has reemerged in the in the late late mm-hmm. years with the yeah, racial like awakening. Um, the rise of Trump and how that storytelling has helped empower black people to tell their own stories in different and unique ways. Mm-hmm. We also talked about blackness in relationships. And I think we really focused on within the community, yeah, how we view blackness, how that affects how we relate to one another, but also how it can unite us and give us opportunities to see commonalities, even when there are some differences in skin color and background. Yeah. But this is not the end of the conversation, guys. Never. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your thoughts on Afro-surrealism. What are some ways that you're experiencing it? Or maybe even you're an artist yourself. How are you expressing your art in a, in a unique way? Um, you know, what, what has been your experience with blackness within the black community? How have you been challenged? How have you been changed? How's your perspective even changed? Mm. Um, how you view blackness? Uh, we'd love to hear from you. We're, we're both on social media. Michael, where can they find you? You can find me on Instagram at j.marie.morgan. And you can find me on Instagram and threads, a little bit on Twitter, at Malcolm.media. Really, Instagram and threads is where you can really <laughs> find me. Twitter, I'm, I'm, I'm about done with Twitter. Um, you can also use the hashtag, talk about it, P-O-D. Let us know your thoughts 
on this and any other episodes. We love to hear the feedback from people that are listening Mm -hmm. to the episode. And thank you so much, all of you that have been listening, that have been downloading, that have been sharing. Um, We appreciate you guys being a part of this conversation. And with that, I think we did it. Is that it? I think that's it. I think we did it. Well, this is Malcolm Morgan. And this is Micah Morgan. This has been Let's Talk About It. We'll see you all next time.